0: Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at naomistable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Well welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians ladies today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 through 13 and I've titled this lesson day 10 true life with god so if you have your bibles go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 starting in verse 1 working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of god in vain for he says in a favorable time i listened to you by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have freely spoken to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. If they are truly saved, then the grace they have received will not be in vain. If they are not truly saved, if they are as the parable of the soils described those who receive the word gladly in the beginning, but then fall away when life gets hard? The grace that was shown to them was, as Paul says, in vain. The message of truth, the gospel that was given to them, the offer of hope and an eternity with him, if they have not truly accepted it, but are following after false teachers instead, then the message did them no good. This, by the way, does not contradict what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, where he describes those who did accept the true gospel, who were built on the right foundation, and then who began laying a different foundation and followed after a different gospel. Those people Paul describes as being saved as though from a fire, but they are still saved. Still, if they are filling up on what false teachers are teaching and they are rejecting the true gospel, that is not a good sign that they have a true foundation. If there is no true fruit, no desire for God, no obedience to his word, no hatred of their own sin and desire to pursue holiness, then they really need to examine themselves to be sure that they actually are in Christ. Now, this verse is one that I've always found not only sobering but encouraging as well. Now is a favorable time. Today. You are not promised tomorrow, so quit looking for a better time and quit putting it off. Deal with your salvation today. Don't waffle on eternity. If you were concerned about your eternity, cry out to God now. If you aren't, if the cost of following Christ is truly not worth it to you, then quit playing on the fence. Make a decision one way or the other, but wrestle with it. Don't put it on the back burner. Now, today is the day of salvation offered to all those who have ears to hear. Respond to that offer now. That opportunity may not be there tomorrow. Don't wait. Eternity does matter. Paul goes on to describe how he hasn't added to the gospel. He hasn't given any opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry of the gospel might not be blamed. No, Paul was a true servant of God. He suffered much for the spread of the gospel to share that truth, and that was his whole goal. The things that Paul endures... He's endured to bring the gospel forth, not for his own glory, wealth, fame, or adoration, but just what has Paul endured. Now, as we read this list, keep in mind Paul was not perfect. He wasn't, and he even tells us that in 1 Corinthians, as he is rebuking this church, that he doesn't have it all figured out yet either. The things he taught them in 1 Corinthians were things they needed to hear, But there were also things that Paul was preaching at himself, sharpening and warning himself to stay the course and hold fast to God. So don't read this as if it's a to-do list or a comparison list of what a super-Christian looks like. Remember, Paul was explaining that there was no such thing as a super-apostle, that we are all on the same ground in Christ. Also, this list is intended to show the stark contrast between Paul and the false teachers who scorned suffering and insisted that any suffering meant you weren't really sent by God. Still, the sheer weight of all that Paul has gone through does demonstrate the truth of his message and the supernatural strength that God has given to him to endure to bring this message to bear. So instead of reading this as like a litmus test, Ask yourself which of these things seem to you to be the hardest to bear up under. And then, spend time asking God to help you to see if there is perhaps an idol in your life related to that particular thing and you might need to deal with it. So, what things did he deal with? Affliction. Hardship or lack of basic necessities. Calamities. Gee, shipwrecks come to mind. Beatings. Imprisonment. Riots that broke out when he shared the gospel in places where the gospel threatened the people and their idols, both literal and figurative. Labors seriously. Paul worked hard to provide for himself while working hard to share the gospel, and the it was hard work, sleepless nights, hunger at times near starvation. And how does he endure all of this? That's what the buy is here for. We learn the secret to Paul's endurance by purity of speech, conduct, motives, and a deep love for the people he's ministering to. All of these things that he lists fall under one of those categories by the knowledge of Christ, of the gospel, of the goal that he has, not just head knowledge so he can be smarter than the guy next to him by patience, waiting on God's timing and God's push to go or stay as God sees fit, kindness. Paul never responded to those who persecuted him or held him under arrest with cruelty or meanness. He shared the gospel with them. He preached and rejoiced and ended up having the run of the jail at times because the guards all trusted him. Think about what those things sound like. Purity of speech, patience, kindness, maybe the fruit of the Spirit. Honestly, without God's Spirit truly indwelling him, Paul couldn't have done any of this. He didn't have the patience or kindness in his own flesh to respond to those who attacked him without getting vengeance on them. No, that was an outflowing of the Holy Spirit within him. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident as he preached when unbelievers were convicted of their sin. Paul didn't convict them, the Holy Spirit did. Genuine love for those who were under his care and for those who were still lost to their sins. That's what Paul had. His concern... As he expresses in Romans for the Jews who still have not been given eyes to see or ears to hear demonstrates that he truly was concerned for those who are still blinded by the ruler of this world. By truthful speech spoken with love and with the power of God, Paul brought the truth of the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, his speech reflects the one who sent him. And so he shares what he has been given with love and compassion for those who are dead in their sins. The weapons of righteousness are weapons that we see have a military aspect for the left or the right hands. Paul always recognized that the real battle he was fighting was a spiritual one, which is what he expounds on in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God passage. It's not his own righteousness that fights this battle. It's God's righteousness that is accounted to him and enables him to fight the battle to the glory of God. Now, Paul then gets a little bit more general as he shows these contradictory pairs and how even through those things, both good and bad, Paul remains steadfast and faithful to the call which God has placed on his life. Now, it's a list of extremes, but Paul isn't boasting in himself here. But as I read through this list, I see my own sin, to be honest. For example, how hard is it to continue to act in love toward those who disrespect me? It's so easy for me to be respectful and loving towards those who are respectful to me, but those who dishonor me, ouch. Or those who slander me, I mean, let's be honest, someone slanders me, I want to either slander them right back or avoid them forever. But that's not what God calls us to do. That's my own sinful response. And so I fight those tendencies to do as Paul did, trusting in the Holy Spirit for strength as I am dishonored or slandered, but also asking God to contain my pride when I am honored and praised, because the praise and honor belongs to him for anything good in my life, and I need to be just as careful about accepting glory that only belongs to him. Paul also was treated as an imposter by people who were so precious to him, and yet he persevered to continue to speak truth into their lives, to shine the light of the gospel on them and call them to repentance. He was treated as an imposter and a stranger, while those who actually were impostors, who were pretending to be God's ministers, were accepted by these people. Yet, Paul was accepted by God, and he knew where his hope was. The hurt that Paul had to deal with, the offense that he daily had to set aside to honor God and hold fast to the gospel astounds me. He was treated as someone unknown and insignificant by these people, but he was known by God. He was also the one who brought the saving gospel to these people. They did know him but they intentionally minimize him and his ministry in favor of these false teachers and their pride. Paul was treated as if he were something to be ignored and rejected, perhaps even to be feared. He was treated as one who was dying, and yet he had been brought from death to real life, and he had the hope of eternity in view. He was treated as one who was rejected, despised, and punished, but they couldn't kill him. Paul was protected by God on so many occasions and in so many weird ways. I mean, come on, being let out of a city in a basket. Those who were against God were also against Paul, and they did everything they could to hurt him. The false teachers that were teaching in Corinth at the time, there was no one fighting against them. They were welcomed. They were accepted. They were the ones who were putting forth the pressure on the people to conform to what they were teaching. Paul was treated as someone sorrowful and scorned, but he was always rejoicing. Even in prison, he sat there and sang praise to God while chained to the guy next to him. He was treated as poor, and perhaps in this world, he was poor. But the riches that Paul knew were not of this world, and he was sharing that treasure with all those around him, watching others become rich in what he offered, Christ, and eternity with him. Even while Paul was treated as one who had nothing, Paul had everything, all of it given to him in Christ. The contrast between the focus of Paul and the focus of the false teachers should be obvious. Paul's focus was not on the temporary things of this world. His focus was on eternity. The focus of the false teachers and those who would persecute Paul was on what they could get out of this world. They were still dead in their sins and they could not see the truth. Again, Back to 1 Corinthians 2, where we see that the wisdom of the world is folly to God, and the wisdom of God is folly to those who are perishing. Paul's eyes were opened. He saw what was truly valuable. His focus was right where it was supposed to be. Do we see ourselves as Paul saw himself? Do we see that, though the world may laugh and mock and try to make us ashamed, that we have life, hope, joy, and riches in Christ— Do we really see what that means? Do we get that we have everything we ever truly need in Christ? Even if we are hungry, we're secure with our Savior. Even if we're homeless, our eternal home is waiting for us. Even if our bodies are dying quickly in this life, our new bodies are waiting for us. There is nothing at all in this life that we lack that will matter when we are with Christ for eternity. Isn't that amazing? In verses 11-13, through 13, Paul speaks plainly to the reader in Corinth. He's spoken freely, his heart wide open, no secrets held back, and no restrictions placed on them by Paul. The only restriction these believers have on them is the restriction that is from God, as he has given them new hearts and new desires. The restrictions are actually evidence of a new heart, not a legalistic rule to follow. In return for speaking clearly and boldly and lovingly to these people, Paul asks of them one thing. He asks them to widen their hearts to him. He shouldn't have had to ask this, and that kind of breaks my heart for Paul. Paul was the one who brought them the saving gospel. He should have been precious to them. Yet Paul asks that they stop closing themselves off to him in favor of the false teachers. He asks that they be gracious and show love to him, understanding the reality of the relationship between these believers and Paul. They're behaving as if they are rebellious teenagers rebelling against their parents, And that behavior needs to stop. No matter how these believers in Corinth treated Paul, he still loved them. He still sacrificed for them. He still prayed for them. And he still pleaded with them and pointed them to the truth. Again, Paul's eternity-focused mind made him all the more useful to God's work in spreading the gospel. He was of immeasurable earthly good. He genuinely loved these people, which is why he pleaded with them. I often remind my sons that the reason that I do bother to correct them is because I do love them. If I didn't love them, I'd let them do whatever they wanted and watch them destroy themselves. But because I do love them, I do strive to train them up in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. I do address their heart issues and point them back to Christ when their sin threatens to run rampant in their lives. I do not let them do foolish things like riding bikes with their eyes closed, but I do let them climb trees. But if I didn't care, I wouldn't have any boundaries for them. So, as we end today, a few questions for us all. What do you think a faithful servant of Christ really does look like? Does that person always drive expensive cars? Do they wear the finest, new, latest fashions? Do they speak eloquently with charm and charisma and flattering words? Or do you see the widow? who helps in the kitchen at every church function, whose name you can't remember but whose smile lights up the room. Or maybe you think of the pastor who's out at the hospital until the wee hours of the morning, praying with and comforting the couple who lost their child. The servant of Christ is the one bringing the gospel to all situations with grace and compassion and truth. The true servant of the Lord may be reviled by the world, looked down upon as hopelessly backward on the wrong side of history, and being seen as a weakling who needs the crutch of religion to make it through the day. Are we willing to be reviled for Christ? Are we willing to endure beatings for Christ? To join the ranks of the martyrs who died to share the hope of the gospel with those around them? Is our focus on eternity seeing the worth of what we have been promised and being willing to endure whatever is brought to us in this life, knowing what is waiting us in our real home? Ladies, is he worth it to you? Is Christ, not heaven, is Christ worth suffering for? Is the Savior who died for you worth you being dishonored instead of honored without you retaliating? Paul's focus on Christ and reliance on the Holy Spirit enabled him to endure all that he did, and you and I can't do it alone either. If any of these questions seem scary to you, bring that to God today. Ask him to help you to see if maybe there's an idol of perhaps comfort that causes those things to be scary to you. But ask him to help you to trust him, no matter what comes to your life, to hold fast and know that he is the one who holds you fast to him, and you cannot fall out of his grasp. He is worth it, ladies. No matter what we have to give up in this life, he is is worth it all. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com day 10 true life with God.